You are tuned to the Nachum Siegel Network on jmandtheam.org and nachumsiegel.com. Stay tuned for JM Sunday with Matis Weingast.
Good morning, everyone. Welcome to JM Sunday right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm your host, Matis Weingast. It's the 21st of January, fifth day in the month of Shvat, 5778. Thanks for joining us, everyone, this morning, this afternoon, this evening, wherever you're listening around the world. It's uh, nice weather out in our area, 35 degrees, heading up to a high of 50, and going down to 40 degrees, partly cloudy throughout the day. In Jerusalem right now, it's partly cloudy. It's 58 degrees, going down to 45. Hope you had a great Shabbos and a great week that passed. And again, thanks for joining us this morning. If you're studying Dafyomi, a new uh, tractate began this week, Avodazara, and it's already up to uh, the sixth Daf, Vav. Still time. Any time is good to, to jump on the bandwagon, but there's certainly still time to catch up for... Uh, this one, and uh, yeah, it's a good uh, it's a good thing to keep going every day. If you want to get in touch with us, uh, send me an email, matis at nachamsegel.com. You can go on Facebook, like our Facebook page, JM Sunday, and uh, you can send us a request through that. Uh, all requests will be looked at. Can't promise we'll be able to play everything, but they'll be looked at. Can't promise I'll want to play everything, but they'll be looked at. 7.30 morning chizuk. I'm not sure about the news from Israel this morning. We'll see how Hannah Julian is doing and uh, hopefully get to you get you the news from Israel in English live in about an hour from now. In the second hour, about 8.15, I'll uh, be interviewing uh, a uh, an author, uh, someone who has written many books on the topic of the Holocaust and has written... This latest one, quite fascinating. His name is Dr. Mordechai Paldiel, and uh, he'll be joining us. His new book is Saving One's Own, Jewish Rescuers During the Holocaust. And uh, as I said, quite fascinating book. Uh, And uh, many things here that we did not know about. So we'll be talking to him uh, at about 8.15 this morning and uh, find out about that. Uh, we're going to go to the music, as we always do. That's we do best. That's we do most of <laughs> right here on uh, on JM Sunday. I just want to start out by letting you know something, by the way, um, for tomorrow morning on JM in the AM. Uh, because we'll, we'll be announcing this a few times today so everybody knows about it and uh, can get ready for it because it is very exciting. Tomorrow there will be a major announcement. Uh, it is uh, still football season, don't forget. So... Uh, couple of weeks from now there's going to be the uh the super bowl and uh, tomorrow morning on jm and the am nachum will be announcing the details for the 2018 kosher halftime show 
Find out who will be the featured musical star and where this year's show will be recorded. Monday morning between 6 and 9. Tomorrow morning, Nachum will be announcing that. Major announcement. The halftime, the kosher halftime show is a wonderful, wonderful event. There are so many people who tune into it and uh, and watch it. It is exciting. And uh, this year, I am sure, will prove to be the same. So tomorrow morning, major announcement. Uh, we'll remind you about that a little later on. We're going to start off with Chaim David Burson right here on JM Sunday. I'm <laughs> 
put your hands together.
by Baruch Levine. Shalom here on JM Sunday. Thanks everyone for joining us. Coming to the bottom of the hour and just about time for Rabbi David Goldwasser. We'll get to him in a second. Great programming continues all day long here on the network, of course, and uh, we'll be here until 9 o'clock. Hopefully uh, we will have the news from Israel and connect with uh, Hannah Julian this morning. Uh, and then in the uh, 8 o'clock hour, about 8.15, I'll be... Uh, I'll be interviewing Mordechai Paldiel. Dr. Mordechai Paldiel is uh, is a professor at uh, Stern College and uh, Queens College, and he'll be uh, we'll be discussing his new book, "Saving One's Own: Jewish Rescuers During the Holocaust." Fantastic book and many amazing stories in there, and a lot of information I think most people uh, did not uh, have not realized. Even those who have studied uh, and learned about the Holocaust and what went on during that time, so we'll talk about that uh, about eight fifteen this morning. And as I said, great programming continues all day long here on the uh, network. Uh, there'll be a uh, encore presentation of the live lunch with Avrami, and the Saturday night Siegel encore also with Avrami. Uh, today, uh, usually at seven o'clock on the Sunday. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Elliot Weiselberg hosts Court Report. There will not be a uh, 
a new edition this week because it is Yeshiva break. So uh, he is off, as they are off. <laughs> the teams are off. I'll check next week to see uh, what's on there. But I do want to mention a major announcement that will take place tomorrow morning on JM and the AM on the Nachum Siegel Network. Nachum will be announcing the details for the 2018 Kosher Halftime Show. Find out who will be featured and where this year's show will be recorded. That's uh, tomorrow morning on JM in the AM, which begins at 6 o'clock. So very exciting news there. Uh, Football season is still continuing, and the Super Bowl will happen in just a few weeks. So it's very important that everybody knows about the Kosher Halftime Show because it is an amazing uh, show to watch and very exciting. Uh, And uh, it is just the perfect thing to, um, to have during the football game. Uh, so tomorrow you'll find out all the details about that. And uh, if you have a chance, you can go to our Facebook page, like us on our Facebook page, like the page. Uh, it is uh, JM Sunday. And uh, let's see, we're going to go to Rabbi Goldwasser now. I think that's it for the announcements. Uh, right now, each and every Sunday through Thursday, we present to you Rabbi David Goldwasser. His words Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. We learn in Parshas Kisisa that after spending 40 days and nights in heaven, Moshe Rabbeinu descended to witness the scene of the Cheto Egel, the sin of the golden calf. He then broke the Luchos. Subsequently, he ascended for another 40 days and nights, and then came down with the second set of luchos. The great Goyen of Moshe Feinstein asks an interesting question. Why did Moshe need to spend an additional 40 days and nights with Hashem? He already learned the contents of the Torah. He learned the manner of instruction during the first 40 days. Rav Moshe answers that we cannot compare the spirit, the moral fiber of Klau Yisrael before the Cheto Egel to the world that existed after the sin of the golden calf. It was no longer the same world. It would be more difficult for Moshe to lead a generation that had made these breaches. It would be necessary to increase their will, to promote their fortitude, to strengthen their courage, and inspire their character. Now, another alternative approach, an entirely different methodology, would be required to teach Torah to B'nai Yisrael. The world of the 21st century is indeed a new world. We're living in different times. It demands a new understanding, an awareness of the mindset and the attitudes of the generation. The issues and challenges of today are overwhelming. It threatens the core of our survival. It's crucial that we grasp the severity of the dangers that do exist so that we can comprehend the course of action, what's most helpful and what's most effective in combating the problem. The great Rabbi Chaim of Sanz was known as the Divrei Chaim. He was gazing out on the street one day, and he saw a Jewish person walking by. He quickly tapped on the window and asked the gentleman to please come in. He asked him, What would you do if you found a chest full of silver, and you knew to whom that it belonged? Would you return it? The Jew answered, Of course, I would return it immediately. Reb Chaim was very disappointed with his answer. He said, you're a fool. Soon, there was another Jew that passed by his window. Reb Chaim invited him in, and he posed the same question. 
The second man responded, You think I'm a fool that I'm going to return such a precious treasure? Reb Chaim told him, You are wicked. Reb Chaim waited until he saw a third passerby. Once again, Reb Chaim tapped on the window, invited the man in. What would you do, he asked the man, if you found a chest full of silver and you knew to whom it belonged? Would you return it? The third Jew thought for a moment and then said, Rebbe, I don't know what I would do. I honestly don't know. It's possible that Hashem would help me withstand the challenge. Perhaps I'd be able to fight my Yetzirah and resist the temptation to keep it. However, there's also a possibility that I will fail and keep the treasure for myself. Since I haven't been challenged with this Nisayan, it's very difficult to know exactly what I would do. Reb Chaim said, You are a wise man, and you have given a very clever answer. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser, bringing you morning physic. Have a nice day. Al 
Moshiach by uh, Shlemy Gertner here on JM Sunday, 8.03 in the morning, and uh, we're going to be getting to the news from Israel in uh, just a uh, just a few seconds. Uh, we're going to connect with Hannah Julian. 
Uh, in the meantime, I'll let you know that uh, after the news from Israel, about 8.15, I'm going to be uh, having a conversation with Dr. Mordechai Paldiel, who's the author of a book, Saving One's Own Jewish Rescuers During the Holocaust. Very fascinating work, and uh, we'll talk about his experiences and uh, why he wrote this book and the importance of it. Uh, so that'll be coming up at about 8.15. Right now, it's uh, time for our news from Israel. Hannah Julian, Middle East news analyst and senior correspondent at JewishPress.com, joins us every Sunday morning to bring us up to date on the latest happenings in the state of Israel. Today is a uh, very busy news day with the arrival in Israel of <laughs> Vice President Pence. Good morning, Hannah Julian. Good morning, Matis. Uh, Vice President Mike Pence is indeed expected to arrive at Ben-Gurion International Airport at around 6.15 this evening. He'll be met by Tourism Minister Yariv Levine and a host, hundreds of reporters. Uh, the Vice President is scheduled to meet with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu tomorrow morning. Um, the Prime Minister said at the Cabinet meeting this morning they'll discuss the Trump administration's efforts to block Iranian aggression and its nuclear program uh, and ways to advance security and peace in the region. The Prime Minister is outraged at the plan by Arab Knesset members to boycott Pence's address to the Knesset tomorrow. Uh, apparently, there's a plan afoot even to disrupt that speech. The prime minister and the vice president will go together to the Knesset for that address. Uh, it'll take place tomorrow afternoon. The joint Arab list said they're boycotting to express their opposition to the U.S. recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Pence is also expected to meet separately with Knesset Speaker Yuli Edelstein. He and his wife Karen will have dinner with the Prime Minister and his wife Sarah on Monday night. On Tuesday, Vice President Pence is slated to meet with President Ruvain Rivlin at his official residence in Jerusalem. He's scheduled for a tour of the Yad Vashem Holocaust Memorial Museum at around noontime. He'll lay a wreath there in the Hall of Remembrance. And his final visit in the Holy Land before returning to Washington, perhaps the most important one, will be his visit to the Western Wall in the old city of Jerusalem. Uh, he'll be greeted there by Western Wall Rabbi Shmuel Rabinovich. Uh, from there, he'll travel directly to Ben-Gurion International Airport, and he'll board the plane to head back to Washington, D.C. We'll have a live feed for you on uh, jewishpress.com. Uh, thousands of Israeli police and border guard police officers are already deployed across Jerusalem, as well as volunteers. All of them are part of Blue Shield 2, the operation to secure the vice president's visit. Police are closing Highway 1 as of 6 o'clock this evening ahead of that visit. If you are working or living in Jerusalem or you are planning to travel to the capital, suffice to say you want to use public transportation and you want to allow extra time to get where you're going. Expect gridlock. Various streets are going to be closed 
Some of them are being shut down already, and some of them are being shut down all day Monday. Some are being closed off, and some of them will be off and on for Tuesday. Highway 1 will also be closed to traffic again on Tuesday ahead of the vice president's departure. This is a very big deal for the Jewish state. It's a real honor. This will be the second visit to Israel in less than a year from the very top of the Trump administration. It means a lot to people here, especially to the Americans, but also possibly even more to the Israelis. By the way, a very quick update on the vice president's meetings in the region up to now. He began uh, with a visit to Egypt on Saturday morning and then went to Jordan the same day. There were quick visits both times. He spent two and a half hours speaking with President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi in Cairo, and then he went quickly to Amman to meet with King Abdullah II. He was told in both places that there are deep concerns over America's recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, and also that East Jerusalem has to be the capital of a future Palestinian state. Uh, Vice President Pence told President el-Sisi that the United States will support a two-state solution only if it is agreed to by Israel as well as the Palestinian Authority. And he told both the president of Egypt and Jordan's King Abdullah the same thing. He told them both. It has to be agreed to by both parties. A quick look now at the weather. Partly cloudy skies here in the Holy Land. The highs are in the 50s today in Jerusalem, but it's in the mid-60s in Tel Aviv and the low 70s in Elat. So when the vice president touches down with his wife Karen, they will probably take off whatever jackets they're wearing. Tonight, the vice president will need a light jacket because it will be in the high 40s in Jerusalem. Cloudy skies tomorrow, a bit cooler, showers in the north and along the coast. Some rain in the central region by afternoon. Highs will be in the 50s. Have a great week, everyone. I'm Hannah Julian for JM Sunday. Thank you so much, Hannah Julian. Uh, when you see the vice president, please send him more regards, of course. And, uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Hopefully you Do you won't... have any special requests from him? No, no, no. He's doing a great job. I'm sure, uh, you know, he knows. Uh, we, we already sent uh, our information along to him. I'm sure he'll, he'll follow through. Uh, also, when <laughs> you see <laughs> when you see Natan Sharansky, please wish him a happy birthday. His birthday was uh, yesterday. He's a special guy. Yes, he yes, really he is. is. I'm sure he'll be there front and center. Uh, so yeah, ber- happy birthday wishes to uh, Natan Sharansky. Well, thank you, Hannah Julian. That's our news from Israel. And uh, we'll catch you next week right here on JM Sunday, exclusively on the Nachum Siegel Network. Uh, it is a few minutes. It's about nine minutes after the hour. We're going to get to uh, our interview with Dr. Mordechai Paldiel in a few moments. Right now, we'll go back to the music and uh, what do we have up next, guys? Uh, we have uh, uh, another uh, selection from Chaim David Burson. Tain Lanu Chaim is the name of the album, and Bowie Kala is the name of the selection right here on JM Sunday. <laughs>
Bowie Kala by Chaim David Burson here on JM Sunday. Matis Wine Guest with you. And uh, just want to remind you that great programming continues all day long here on the network. Uh, and tomorrow morning, Nachum will be on between 6 and 9 for JM in the AM. And he'll be giving the announcement that is eagerly, uh, eagerly uh, we are all eagerly awaiting on the details of the 2018 Kosher Halftime Show. We'll find out who the featured musical star will be and where this year's show will be recorded. So that is uh, tomorrow morning at between 6 and 9. And again, great program continues all day long here on the network on JM, on the Nachum Siegel Network. We are here with you on JM Sunday. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the airwaves an author of a, uh, a new book was published last year. Uh, the uh, title is Saving One's Own, Jewish Rescuers During the Holocaust. Uh, and I'd like to welcome to the airwaves Dr. Mordechai Paldiel. Dr. Paldiel, welcome to JM Sunday. Thank you. Welcome to you. Thank you very much. It's an honor and a pleasure to speak with you this morning. Uh, just uh, to uh, to let the listeners know, uh, you uh, are a lecturer at Stern College and uh, Queens College, I believe. And not, not, not Queens. Not no, Queens College, Queens. Stern College, Stern and College. Uh, in the summer I also lecture at Turo College. Ah, okay, very nice. So Stern College and Turo College. And for for many years you were the director of the Department of the Righteous Among the Nations at Yad Vashem in Jerusalem, which um, I, I believe anybody who knows anything about history uh, knows that uh, that department uh, in particular is known for the uh, the Righteous Among the Gentiles Award or recognition over the decades of people that we find out that uh, helped Jews during the Holocaust uh, escape uh, and uh, they, of course, are rightly so, are being honored. Your book, though, takes a different uh, turn in history a bit, and it talks about Jewish rescuers during the Holocaust. It's absolutely fascinating. What prompted you and led you to write this uh, book, this historical book? Well, uh, for 24 years, I headed the Department of the Righteous Among the Nations at Yad Vashem uh, in Hebrew, Chassideu Motorlam. And I was uh, instrumental in adding about 18,000 names, 18000, wow. of non-Jews who saved Jews uh, during the war. But in many of these stories, I came across names of Jewish people that uh, work in tandem with these non-Jewish rescuers. And in some of these stories, the Jewish rescuers even did more than the non-Jews in some of these stories. And I was wondering, how come we don't recognize our own rescuers who added risk to their lives? The Jews were already at risk because they were Jews, and they added more risk to their lives. And uh, some of these uh, Jewish rescuers that uh, I have in mind uh, saved not only a handful, but they saved hundreds, and in some cases over a thousand Jews. And uh, we didn't find a means to honor them. And so uh, I decided I was going to write a book about this to give them the proper credit of people like, for instance, Rabbi Michael Dov, White Mandolin, Slovakia, or, for instance, uh, Walter Suskind in Holland, George Garel in France, uh, Marianne Cohen, who smuggled hundreds of children across the border in France, and then she was captured and killed. And uh, Sternbuch in Switzerland, uh, uh, George Mantello, 
and uh, other names, uh, Vladka Mead and, uh, and Miriam Pelik in Poland, they saved hundreds and hundreds. Uh, and uh, we don't honor them. We're Jews. We don't honor our own heroes. Right. Uh, so, so that's why I wrote the book that it's not true that all Jews went like sheep to the slaughter. Uh, there were many Jews who created networks of rescue, and they managed to save, in total, thousands of Jews. That and, was the purpose of my book. Right. And I think that that's the, the primary um, uh, piece of information that many people... Uh, who who study the Holocaust in school and and know about it don't realize uh, what you just said about the networks and the groups. We all know, you know, stories or we know people who individually were able to uh, help themselves, help their family. They were able to escape or do whatever they needed to do. Um, but most people, I think, would say, like like you had said, that uh, the perception is that they were individual people that that saved maybe a okay, few people. So- and that, so hold it one second. Yeah. Yes. So I'm not talking about individual right. help. Right. Right. Exactly. Was helping a fellow Jews because there were hundreds of thousands of right. cases. Right. Exactly. I'm, I'm talking of people who created networks of rescue and and, and uh, saved not only uh, their fellow Jews or people that they knew, but they saved uh, uh, thousands, hundreds of Jews that they didn't know. Right. Their purpose was to try to save them, uh, sometimes alone. And in many cases, in tandem, together with non-Jewish rescuers. Right. So and the non-Jewish rescuers are honored, but the Jewish rescuers are, have forgotten. Have not been. And, and I agree. That's what I was saying, that most people would think that it's just the individuals. But you have brought out the fact that there have been, that there were these networks that saved thousands of people and worked very hard. And you mentioned some people uh, just before. And, uh, you know, when I, I have so many uh, so many little post-it notes on, on different stories in your book that we can't even, you know, begin to touch upon it. But uh, I'll ask about one or, or two soon. Uh, but... Let's say uh, let let's uh, go to the next step um, before we go back to the uh, individual stories. What is there anything being done now to uh, re- uh, recognize these Jews who have helped, who had helped? Very little is being done. Very mm. little is being done. I tell you why. Because we have a psychological problem. The narrative of the Holocaust of the Shoah, as it has been presented over the years, is that. Uh, uh, Jews uh, left to their own devices do not know how to help themselves. Uh, Jews in the diaspora, they are good at being shtadlanim, yeah. intermediaries. When it comes to rescue, they're very weak. And uh, that is why we need a, a, a state, a Jewish state, where in the Jewish state in Israel now, uh, we are able to defend ourselves. Well, there's a lot of truth in that. I'm not denying that. Right. But I'm saying... Uh, this caused to diminish the role and not mention the role of Jews who did act in the most courageous and heroic way that did save their bread. In other words, uh, Jews living in the diaspora are not always timid and passive and just go along and do what they are told to do by non-Jews, but they find ways to, to overcome and to help their fellow Jews. Right. I'll give you one example. Take the story of Tuvio Bielski who uh, created a network in the forest in Belarus, and uh, he uh, admitted into the forest layers of uh, about 1,200 Jews. Most of them were not able to fight. He said, I will fight as a partisan, but I, I will admit into my ranks any Jews who flee from the ghettos into the forest 
whether he's an old person or a pregnant woman or a young child, because my purpose is to save Jews and also fight the Germans. But not only fight the Germans, as other partisans did, and they refused to accept anyone who was not capable of fighting. But uh, Sylvia Bielski says, I will, I, will, I will admit any Jew who flees because we have to save Jewish lives. And he saved 1,200 persons, Sylvia right. Bielski and his brother. His brother, the Bielski brother, is very well known, right, of course. Yes, well, it's very well known now, but uh, after the war, when he came to the United States, he was completely overlooked. He worked as a, uh, he had a business as a truck. He was moving furniture for people. He was living in Brooklyn, totally overlooked, not acknowledged, not recognized by the Jewish community. At the same time, when people were honoring uh, righteous Gentiles, a person who saved one Jew or two Jews or three Jews, and here's a person who saved over a thousand Jews, and nothing was done. Right. And he died uh, in the United States, and only now, uh, because of a certain movie that was made, a certain book that was written, now he's being uh, 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 talked and remembered. So it's good that he's being talked and remembered. Now, how about naming a Jewish school after Sylvia Bielski? So that more of the young Jews, uh, the young tongue medium, should know more about that person and be proud of it. Right, and and for instance, we don't know uh, except in your book about uh, uh, George uh, Montello. Uh, it was one of the people I read about. I found fascinating that he was uh, he had a friendship with the Consul General of El Salvador in Switzerland. He was able to give uh, false citizenship papers to Jews who were trying to escape. And uh, and he also saved thousands of lives. I will bet you that if you ask a uh, hundred people who are you know who have studied the Holocaust in in general, I will bet you that no one would would have heard of him. You're absolutely right. I'm glad you mentioned George Mantello because after I retired from Yad Vashem and I came to New York to teach, I was approached uh, by certain people to do something about the Salvadorian ambassador in Switzerland by the name of Jose. Castellanos, mm-hmm. to have him honest, because he's the one that allowed George Mantello to work out of the Swiss uh, legation in Geneva. Right. So I, after one or two years, I collected all the evidence, and I uh, forwarded to Yad Vashem and to the Righteous Department. And indeed, Jose Castellanos was recognized as a righteous Gentile. And indeed, he deserves that, that uh, honor. But what about George Mantello? The man who actually did all the work. Right. The man who, who sent all these uh, false uh, Salvadorian citizenship papers to thousands of Jews. There was no program to this day to honor a man like George Mantello. There was no tool for that. And that is a shame. Right. Uh, and uh, there are so many others that are in the book that uh, you write about just like him. Uh, and I, I think also what you said about our, our psychological uh, look at this, the psyche, if you will, uh, is that uh, when maybe it came, it's come as a surprise over the decades that there have been non-Jews that helped Jews during the Holocaust. So they have been put on a pedestal, as they should be, for, for sure, for saving Jews. But it was almost that surprise, whereas, like you said, most people think, okay, if somebody who's Jewish saved other Jews, it's almost expected. They did what they could. And they saved people, but no one really uh, uh, accepted that as uh, something amazing to to write about. And and it should be, as you have done. Uh, yes. And, and uh, I, I, I think that's mention, part. I want to give another example. In sure. France, we know that there was anti-Semitism. Uh, France is known to have a right. of anti-Semitism. Uh, not as uh, deadly as in Germany. But anyway, 
Uh, but the surprising thing is that most French Jews survived on French soil. Mm -hmm. uh, over 200,000 Jews survived. And the question is, how did they survive? And the answer is that there were Jewish, many Jewish organizations that worked clan clandestinely to uh, find uh, sheltering places for Jews among uh, uh, non-Jewish homes. Uh, there was the Jose. There was a man by the name of Georges Darrell who created the network that saved over 4,000 Jewish children. Uh, so, uh, how many people know about Georges Garel? Uh, it, it's very strange. Uh, our own Jewish, Jewish heroes are totally overlooked, and I think uh, that needs to be corrected. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, uh, yeah. You, were, uh, you were born in Belgium, and the, the history of Belgium during the Holocaust is, is different than some of the other countries also. Um, if, if I remember correctly, and I don't, please you know, correct me, Mo most Jews, I think, in Belgium, came from other parts, uh, and there were relatively, I, I think there were around 70,000 Jews at the beginning of the war, but most of them, am I correct, were from the outside, had, had come into Belgium. There weren't that many well, born, uh, you know, in Belgium over a period of time. Is that, is that am I right? That's right. Most, most Jews in Belgium had come from Eastern Europe, from uh, Poland, Romania, Lithuania, and uh, they were not Belgium nationals, and about only 8% of the Belgium Jews were Belgium citizens. Uh, uh, all the others, over 90%, had not obtained uh, Belgium uh, citizenship. Right. But I, I'm glad you mentioned Belgium, because in 1942, the various Jewish organizations in Belgium created an organization called Comité de Défense de Juifs, which means Jewish Defense uh, Committee. And that, that organization saved thousands of Jews Together with non-Jewish residents, they, they create that network. They uh, uh, they falsify documents for Jews who uh, were trying to pass as non-Jews. They found sheltering places and villages and so on. And they kept the records of these people, especially the children. So the children that were handed over into non-Jewish hands, at least they had records of them. So after the war, they could be reclaimed uh, back and, and brought back to the Jewish people. So in Belgium and in France, the non-Jewish rescuers were honored by Yad Vashem, justifiably, mm -hmm. uh, but the principal Jewish leaders who created the Comité de Défense de Juifs, like, for instance, Chaim Bellman, uh, no one knows about them. Nothing is there's nothing uh, to uh, has been done to honor them, to acknowledge them. Right. And uh, this is, I think, this is a, a, a terrible, I would say, sin. And it was overlooked, and it's time to correct it and do something about it. Right, sure, because we know, I mean, the terrible devastation, you can't even, you know, describe it, and the millions and millions who were killed. Uh, there were survivors, and I think uh, people take it for granted. Okay, some people survived, but it wasn't that way, because when you read these stories, you read about, like you said, the thousands of people that each of these uh, groups or individuals have saved, uh, that it wasn't just that some people were able to survive. It really took a united effort to save those that did survive. And uh, that is overlooked. It's something I never learned about, frankly. And I used to teach uh, Holocaust studies in religious school, and it would be mostly about you know, what happened during, before and after, uh, and and the, the righteous Gentiles that saved people, which was phenomenal. I never had this type of information here. Uh, Dr. Mordechai Paldiel is our guest this morning. The uh, book is Saving One's Own, Jewish Rescuers During the Holocaust. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing book. A few more things I want to discuss with you about it. Uh, I would suggest that every school should should make this a required a group reading 
uh, for students at the appropriate age. Uh, people should take uh, a, a name and and you know do do a, a little report on it to to tell other people about it. I think that would be a great way of of really getting this out to uh, to many people at, at a time. Uh, and hopefully, uh, schools are doing that. Yeah, well, uh, uh, hopefully so. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned schools because uh, there was a, uh, uh, a Jewish woman by the name of Marianne Cohen, and, and she spirited hundreds of Jewish children across into Switzerland from France. She was eventually uh, captured and she was executed, uh, Marianne Cohen. Originally, she was born in Germany, but she had fled from Germany to France mm-hmm. before the war. Well, uh, why do I mention her name? Uh, not only because she saved so many children uh, by smuggling them across into Switzerland, but in France, uh, a school has been named after her. And fascinating, in Germany, in Berlin, where she was born, a school, a public school, is named after Marianne Cohn. So the French have honored her. Uh, the Germans are honoring her. And we didn't honor her. <laughs> and we? <laughs> Nothing. Uh, right, right. So, what do you say to that? Hey, no, it's it's true. Take someone like and again, I, I uh, posted some of these, uh, some of the people in the book. You have Miklos Kraus, Moshe Kraus from Hungary. Miklos Kraus from Hungary, right? Who did a? I'd like to mention again, uh, Rabbi Weissman. I, I want. Rabbi I'll get Weissman. if you wouldn't mind. I'll get to him in a second because I want to okay, just tie him into something. But I, I was just mentioning about um, Mr. M- Moshe Kraus who. Uh, distributed letters, protective letters to would-be immigrants, as you say here, and, and those people were able to use the papers to, uh, you know, to be saved. Uh, relatively, <laughs> to say it this way, relatively simple thing, you know, it worked, thank God, but nobody yes. knows about it. And, and you well, know, how I, many descendants I, I are there? To, I yes. want to expand on, on the Miklos Kraus. Yes. The Jewish name is, of course, Moshe Kraus. Right. Uh, he distributed... Uh, protective letters. What protective letters he distributed? Swiss ones. Mm-hmm. But he was working uh, under the sponsorship of Karl Lutz, who was a Swiss diplomat. So the protective letters that Miklos Kraus distributed uh, were Swiss ones, and uh, Karl Lutz was honored by Yad Vashem. Right. But Miklos Kraus uh, was the one who was in hiding, and he was doing all the work. And he's also a hero. Yes. So uh, yes. Let, let's not forget him. No. Now, you mentioned uh, Rabbi Michal Dovbear Weismandel, who is known to many people in these parts in New Jersey as the founder of a yeshiva when he was here in, in Somerville and then in Mount Kisco. And he's also well-known, um, which is how I uh, also have known about him, through his work with Torah Codes. Uh, and is very well known and considered the father of Torah codes, and uh, that's a whole other discussion I've had with other people about about that uh, fascinating topic. But I don't think that most people at all would have an inkling of what he did uh, during the Holocaust to save Jews. And I think it also brings out, and I'd like you to expand upon it, please expound upon it rather. Uh, he was actually trying to deal with the Nazis and 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 bribe them, if you will. And I, I don't think anybody really f- would think that there was that type of effort made um, during the Holocaust and, and would probably be very surprised about it. Yes, exactly. Well, he was the only one who, uh, as early as 1942, realized 
that the, the, what the Nazis were out is to destroy, physically destroy the Jewish people. That thing didn't, it didn't, it didn't sink in into the minds of most Jewish leaders uh, who in the United States or in Eretz Israel. They thought the Nazis were persecuting the Jews, but not mass extermination. But he came to the realization that this is what was uh, uh, the intention that was being done. So uh, the solution to that is to try to negotiate. You negotiate with the devil in order to try to say, but how to negotiate? Right. And here is the genius of Rabbi Weizmann. The Nazis claimed that the Jews controlled the world. They claimed that behind England, France, behind England, Russia, and the United States stood, stood a secret Jewish uh, conspiracy, and they are pulling the strings, and that the Jews are really in control of the war against Germany. So he decided that he was going to work on this uh, Nazi canard and say, yes, it's true, we Jews, right. we control the world, and I'm a delegate. I've been delegated by that secret Jewish government to negotiate with Nazi Germany in return for payment, and we have all the money that we need, in order maybe to reduce the scope of the Holocaust. And uh, so he realized that this message was going to go to some Nazis, and it went to the head of Heinrich Himmler, the head of the SS. Yes. Now Heinrich Himmler, behind the back of Hitler, he realized that Germany could not win the war against this grand alliance. So maybe, maybe one could work with that secret Jewish government to get the United States out of the war so that Germany could only face Russia. And, uh, and so here you have Rabbi Weissmandel negotiating uh, via an SS officer by the name of Isli Cheney uh, directly with uh, Heinrich Himmler. But what he needed was money. In other words, they said, okay, uh, under a plan called the Europa Plan, they were willing to stop the Holocaust from certain countries in return for $2 million, uh, 10% up front, which is $200,000. Well, right. White Mandel couldn't get the money from the joint, and he said he, he pleaded to get the money to try at least to come to some kind of an agreement. So it's a very long story, and uh, even a, a Holocaust scholar like Yehuda Bauer uh, who is a secular scholar, uh, he said uh, that maybe uh, Weissmantel had something up in the sleeve and we didn't make really an effort to go with him right. and try to negotiate with Himmler. But he did manage to save some 20,000 Jews in Slovakia by bribing the Nazis and bribing the Slovak government. Right. So, uh, so his role uh, has also been overlooked, uh, but now more people are talking about Weissmantel. In my eyes, he's one of the heroes of the Holocaust because he at least tried to do something, and he didn't make a difference between uh, from Jews and non-from Jews. I mean, his his uh, aim was to save as many Jews as possible, and there was the only way of doing that is to negotiate directly with the Nazis. There was no other way one could save except by 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 negotiating. Of course, of course, he also helped by. Uh, having Jews smuggled out of uh, Poland yes. and Slovakia and directing them to Hungary. At that time, up until March 1944, Hungary was relatively a safe place. So he's one of the heroes. Right. He's one of the first who's mentioned in my book. You know, it's, uh, very large. Yes, it, it's interesting because you bring up, you touch upon something that we could spend an entire other conversation about, and that is the role of Jewish leadership um, during the Holocaust, whether inside Europe, outside Europe, the United States, uh, and how um, Jewish leadership did or did not 
do the best that it could. You know, it's 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 easy to second guess, but when you look at some of the things that it's written, you know, you see uh, issues and problems. And when you have someone like Rabbi Weismandel who was had this idea and was able to do this on his own to yeah, try it, you know, imagine if there was a, a, a Jewish leadership elsewhere who Jewish, jumped on that. Jewish leadership, Jewish leadership, excuse me, was in a state of paralysis. Yeah. Men like Heim Weissman, David Ben-Gurion, Stephen Wise, and so on, they felt that nothing could be done until the war was over, right. until the Germans had been defeated. As, as sad as it is, nothing could be done, which is a wrong attitude. You try. You try here, you try there, and uh, you, you go, uh, you, you try from whatever direction one can. The other mistake that they had is, is that we don't negotiate with the Nazis. We want to defeat them. Well, by the, by the time the Nazis are defeated, there might not be any Jews left. Right. So sometimes you have to negotiate. So this is also a religious obligation of Pidyon Shruyim, that uh, according to uh, the Jewish religion, you, 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 you make great efforts to release Jews from captivity. Uh, and, and if you have to pay money, you, you do that. In other words, you negotiate with these people in order to save lives. As right. much as you hate them and dislike them. Of course. And this was not done during the Holocaust by the major Jewish leaders, not because of ill will. I don't accept the charge that they didn't want to do it. No, but of course they, not. They were paralyzed, and they, 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 uh, they didn't know how to handle the situation. Right. I guess there's People a... People like God, like Weissmandel, that no one had ever heard of him before. Exactly. He's the man that, that, that saw the situation and tried to do something. Right. I guess He's the man that negotiated with Himmler. Right. Imagine that. Right. I, I guess that at the time, there's probably a worldview of the whole uh, war, like you said, and not being able to do anything until the war was over. And then there were... Then there were the people on the ground right there, I, I hate to say it this way, but watching people being deported onto trains to be taken to the concentration camps who were right there thinking, okay, we have to try to do something. And, and the idea, oh. for instance, the Rabbi Weissmandel, to be able to stop deporta- deportation trains, uh, you know, you stop one, who knows, maybe those people will never have to get on one again and those people will be saved. Yes. May I mention another name? Of course. A lady by the name of Recha Sternberg. Mm-hmm. She, she was able to uh, have a former president of Switzerland by the name of Jean-Marie Moussy, who was a, a fascist. She was able to convince him to go see Himmler in late 1944 and tell Himmler, look, Germany has lost the war. And uh, if you want to save your reputation and take over from Hitler, who will probably commit suicide, then you have to release some Jews, you have to change uh, your reputation. And Mussi, who knew Himmler, went to Himmler, and as a result, Himmler released a trainload of 1,205 Jews right. from the They went to Switzerland. Recha Sternburg, uh, and she saved other Jews uh, by having them smuggled to Switzerland. A plain and simple woman living in Switzerland saves more Jews than all these great Jewish leaders uh, who were living abroad and uh, folded their hands and said there's nothing that can be done. Right. So I mentioned her also in my book and tried to show that there were some people who tried in their limited means to try to save many Jews. And uh, we should be proud of them and we should honor them and they should serve as role models, as examples of Jewish courage and Jewish uh, heroism 
uh, and Jews who cared about fellow Jews. Absolutely. The name of the book is Saving One's Own, Jewish Rescuers During the Holocaust. Uh, Dr. Mordecai Paldiel is is my guest. As we wrap up, I have one question to ask you before we finish. Uh, the book is available on Amazon. I'm sure it's available in all Jewish bookstores. And uh, I would encourage individuals and schools to get this book. Uh, it is... Uh, it's it's fascinating. You don't have to read everything straight through. It's not like a, a history book where you have to, from beginning to end, you can jump around, you can pick on different people and, and read about it, then finish the book. That's the way I did it. I, I didn't read it straight through. Uh, I, I yeah. went to different countries uh, as the book is uh, organized and uh, read about people, some of the stories were, I mean, they're all, you know, there's some element of sadness in all of them, but some of them were very poignant. Some of them were, were uh, I wouldn't say humorous, but, you know, the way things worked out was very, uh, very interesting. So I suggest people, people get this. Um, and I have one question for you, uh, both asking you on a personal level uh, as a, a survivor of the Holocaust and also as an educator. And I've asked this to, to other people uh, in, in this position. A hundred years from now, when unfortunately we will not have any uh, uh, survivors of the Holocaust, eyewitnesses alive anymore, uh, we do have, thankfully, a lot of uh, things written, such as your book, and we have the different projects of witnesses speaking. What would you like to see the course of a Holocaust education be in the schools a hundred years from now? Uh, that first of all, that we have to be vigilant about anti-Semitism. When anti-Semitism is a virus, it's a virus that is in the minds of uh, many, many, many non-Jews. And that virus sometimes gets loose and takes over uh, the, uh, the mind of those people. And, uh, and, it, and so we have to be vigilant because it, re- it wreaks destru- uh, harm and destruction on Jews. And that virus is going to be there forever. Mm-hmm. Anti-Semitism will never dissipate. So we have to be vigilant. And at the same time, we have to also always have contingent plans to try to help fellow Jews who are in danger. Because there will always be times when some Jews are in danger in some parts of the world. Okay, so the idea that a day will come that uh, Jews will no longer be in danger, that will only happen when the Mashiach comes. Right. But before that, unfortunately, uh, so, and we have to have, uh, we, should, we should be able to honor our own heroes. We Jews, we have a certain failing. When it comes to honor a non-Jew, there's no problem. When it comes to honor one of our own people, there are always doubts and so on and all kinds of opinions and so on. Right. So I, I believe, for instance, take my example. Uh, I was saved by uh, a Jewish person and a non-Jewish person as a child. The Jewish person that saved me was a man by the name of Rabbi Zalman Schneerson, a distant, co- a distant cousin of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who had a school for ch- young children in Marseille, France. Uh-huh. And I was there several months. Several months I was there in that children's home in Marseille, France. Right. Uh, Rabbi Zalman Schneerson saved uh, uh, over 100 Jewish children. It's a whole story about him that I described yes. in my book. Mm-hmm. The other person that saved me was a Catholic priest who organized my family's secret escape to Switzerland. He made a rearrange for us to cross the border into Switzerland secretly. So uh, the Catholic priest, uh, his name uh, uh, 
uh, was uh, Galei. Simon Galei, he's honored by Yad Vashem. He's got a tree at Yad Vashem. Okay? Uh, I, I gave, my parents gave all the testimony and so on. But I think Rabbi Dalman Schneerson, too, he should be in 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 a hundred years from now. Jewish children should know about Dalman Schneerson, Rabbi Dalman Schneerson, who uh, later on moved to the United States and he died here, uh, should also know what he did to save Jewish children in France from the Germans. So this is a challenge that Jewish schools, uh, and these Jewish schools, you know, religious or more religious, uh, Haredi or not Haredi, they can tell the story because it's, it's a story to be proud of, of Jewish people who saved fellow Jews. So this is a challenge. It has to be done. It hasn't yet been done. And this is something we have to do to show them that they are bright lights in the story of the Holocaust. And uh, we should be proud of these people. And at the same time, be vigilant against the outbreak of anti-Semitism, right. uh, which, will happen in the, which may happen in the future. Hopefully not. But we have to be always vigilant right. and always have any contingency plans to try to help out Jews. Very well said. Thank you for those important words. And thank you for writing this book because it is absolutely fascinating. Again, saving one's own Jewish rescuers during the Holocaust. Dr. Mordechai Paldiel, thank you so much for joining us here this morning on JM Sunday. Thank you for having me on your program and have a good day. You too. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It is 8.48 in the morning. A couple of songs we'll get to before uh, the end of the show. Uh, let's, uh, let's go to Avrami, uh, Avrami Roth with Hashem Elohim right here on JM Sunday.
Shellas from volume number three, Hishimo, closing out our show this morning here on JM Sunday on the Nachum Siegel Network. Great programming continues all day long. And don't forget, tomorrow morning, big announcement about the uh, Kosher Halftime Show that will be taking place during the Super Bowl. Nachum will announce uh, who the featured musical guest will be and where it will be recorded. So make sure to check out JM in the AM tomorrow morning between 6 and 9, followed by the Israel Show with Mayor Weingarten. Thanks again for joining us. My thank you to our guest this morning, Dr. Mordechai Paldiel, who is the author of the book Saving One's Own Jewish Rescuers During the Holocaust. I encourage everyone to go out and get a copy of that. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next week right here on JM Sunday on the Nachum Siegel Network.